You're listening to the Taylor Swift Fan Club Podcast, the podcast about all the things that matter and a lot of things that don't, with me, Tim Burden. And me, Michael Pattinson. Michael, welcome back. Hello, Tim. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Before we get going, now we've had a couple of weeks to think about all that the Bishop of Worcester had to say. Any matters arising? Well, I think so. The bit that really struck me was listening to the bishop talking about journeys. Mm. It sort of stayed with me for the past couple of weeks. So I thought we should we should sort of, seeing as though cycling is all about the journey, not the destination, yeah. mm. we should have a think about our journey as we, we travel through our landscape, our podcast and Swift landscape. What do you think? That sounds good. So we're in episode two of season two. Mm-hmm. And we're heading towards the end of this season, which will be um, just before Christmas, I expect. Yep. So we're charting a journey. Yeah. On the way, we're going to reflect a little bit on our journey of life. We're going to um, think about journeying in general. We don't actually know what our destination is going to be. We know it's going to be the final episode of the season, whatever and whenever that might be. But the important thing is that we're heading on the way. And we'll take various things with us. We're going to meet various people on the way. We're going to ride various different bikes en route, I expect. Yeah. We'll think about what we're going to need for the journey. But I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Sounds like a good, It sounds like a good start, doesn't it? A good place to start. It does. What bike would you like to ride today? Uh, what course are we on? What course? Well, if we were in Zwift, what's your favourite Zwift world? What's my favourite Zwift world? So my favourite Zwift world, I think, is probably Watopia. Sure. Um, I, pr- I probably should have real. said apart from Watopia. Apart from Watopia. Because that's it's the London. biggest one, isn't it? London, okay. London. Definitely right. London. And and I've been to London this weekend, so I think maybe we should go to London. What do you think? Okay. Yeah, let's go to London. What bike are you going to ride in London? I'm going to ride a Santander bike. Okay. I'm going to pay my uh, £2 and I'm going to mm-hmm. get a... Sw- I'm going to pedal around and we and you know what we might stop for a coffee and leave it somewhere and i might get another one yeah yeah that's what i'm gonna good. do i'm gonna yeah. get a santander bike what about you okay um can i borrow your electric brompton yeah okay you're gonna have to help me like unfold it and i hope you've charged it up but... i've charged it's fully char- it's always okay. fully charged well good. actually not always when i'm using it it's not fully charged obviously obviously but yeah yeah okay you might have to help me up the hills is that all right yeah, that's fine. There aren't many hills in London, are no, there? There aren't. And for the benefit of anyone who is familiar with Zwift but has never been to real London, a couple of things. Yeah. Number one, there are cars on the road. Number two, you can't cycle on the tube tracks, uh, unlike in Zwift. No, that's true. Number three, Surrey Hills is a lot further away than Zwift would have you believe. No, it's not 100 metres along a tube, tube no. thing, is it, no? Well, that sounds good. So you're on your Santander bike. I'm on your electric Brompton. We should get warmed up, shouldn't we? Have you got a quiz? I have got a quiz. So last week's quiz was a little bit different from previous quizzes, and I would say quite a lot less successful. <laughs> so, so so I'm returning to the, to the old format of okay. here are three things, good. put them in an order from okay. largest 
to smallest. Right. I should say, Tim, I mentioned before that I've been to London today and mm-hmm. it was by sheer chance that we're in London over this um, unusual uh, weekend of, of kind of national morning. But I mm. saw the queue. Right. I witnessed the queue. And f- for listeners who don't know what the queue is, it's a five mile queue of people um, waiting to see the Queen lying in state. And and it was a thing to behold. I'm sure. Um, so... So there are some queue-related questions in here. Um, I hope this doesn't answer any of your quiz questions, but they, were, they said on the news today that the queue is visible from space, which I don't think I believe because you know how they always say, oh, the Great Wall of China is the only man-made thing yeah. you can see from space, but it's not true. You can't it's see not it because it's, like, it's really narrow and so you, you wouldn't be able to see it. So, like, unless things are more visible from space than they once were, I think that that they are is much more. made up. So okay. there's a spoiler alert. They are much, much more visible. Basically, okay. everything is visible from space. Right. You can't see through walls and ceilings, <laughs> but everything else is fair game. So it definitely is visible from space. But so that's a bit like, like it's saying, like saying anything is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So your Land Rover... Is visible from space. It is, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. In that it isn't amazing. It's not amazing. No, it's not amazing at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's not we amazing. Need, at all. We need to stop saying that things are visible from space. Like because everything's sort visible of, from space. Yeah. 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 If it's out in the open, then it's you, visible then, from space. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, quiz time. Okay. So the other thing, event that's been happening this week, end, it's the world. Uh, road championships mm-hmm. and today was the time trial mm-hmm. so the world uh, champion new world champion Tobias Foss which was a surprise to everybody including mm-hmm. me so he did it in 40 uh, minutes and 2 seconds okay you have to that's your baseline right. and then you have two things that you have to say you have to put them in order based on that being your baseline. Okay. Okay. Does that make sense? Yep. Sort well, of. Sort of. So the second one was how long would it take for a horse to canter the length of the queen's queue? Right. Okay. Uh, so, and really, it, all you need to know is, do you think that's longer than 40 minutes or shorter than 40 okay, minutes? Okay, right. Okay. So, th- the queue is five miles long, I yep. think, right? Yep. The horse um, cantering, I don't know anything about horses, right? Yeah. Cantering, I think, is slower than galloping. It is slower than galloping, yeah. Is it faster than trotting? It is faster than trotting. So it's between trotting and, and galloping. Are yeah. there any others? We've got trotting, cantering, galloping. That's basically it. Walking. Um, they do some walking, walking as okay, well. Okay, right. Um, I'm going to guess that a canter is going to be something like 10 miles an hour. Okay. It's a nice round number anyway. So yep. 10 miles an hour, which means that it would go five miles in half an hour. If I've done my maths right. Yep. Which would mean that the horse would be the the time that it would take the horse. Yep. To canter 
the length of the queue would be less time than Foss did his time trial. Okay. So that, that's um, my answer. I'm already achieving this being simpler, aren't I? So it's banked. <laughs> it's in the bank that now. Okay. So next question. Okay. So if the queue was a cyclocross course. Right. And it was quite twisty. Yeah. You know, it's a few parks, few, 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 um, a, f- a few little hairpins and things like that. Yeah. H- how long would it take? So would it be... For a horse? Uh, no, for, for a person, a cyclocross for a person. rider. For a cyclocross rider to cycle five miles. Yes. Okay. Um, would it be faster than the horse? Yeah. It is a fir- our first question. So we reckon that the horse was going at 10 miles an hour. Yeah. I think... Oh, now, um, now again, context, I've never raced cyclocross yeah i don't know how fast they go 10 miles an hour seems slow to me uh so i am going to suggest that the cyclocross rider was faster or would go faster over five miles than a horse yeah so less than half an hour so i think it goes foss at 40 minutes hoss (laughs) foss hoss and voss Foss, Foss, Foss. It goes Foss, Foss, Foss. That's the order. Foss. Oh, do you know what? I, it almost is like I've planned that, but but no. Foss, Foss, Foss. Foss, so, Foss, Foss. So for your your answer to the first... So Foss, then Hoss. Correct. Good. And you were almost exactly right by your nine, nine, 10 miles an hour. Oh, it's really between good. nine and 10 miles an okay. hour. Okay. And... Uh, Yeah, the cyclocross. Voss is next in about 15 miles per hour. Sure. Give or take. So, yeah, that's that's your first full So she have done it in about 20 minutes. Yeah. Right. So that's your first three-pointer. And do you know what? I've just realised something back to the um, previous discussion from the bishop about pilgrimages. Mm. Do you know why a canter's called a canter? Oh. Does it relate to Canterbury? It does. Okay. Go on then, explain. It's the pace that you would do on your horse on your pilgrimage to Canterbury. Oh, wow. Huh. So that's why it's called Canter. There you go. A, a, you know, an, an inter- a, a, a brilliant quiz. Was it a brilliant quiz? Um, a quiz. Yeah, a quiz. A quiz. <laughs> and, and, and a fact. Oh, so oh I th- yeah. <laughs> I was having a little think about last week's episode as well, and slightly less seriously than... Um, our discussion about journeys but we decided we were going to have some christmas merch didn't we yeah we did which was our new fragrance uh suplesse suplesse and we imagined what it might smell like if we if it was inspired by the color of my bar tape celeste um but that that got me thinking maybe we need to have two fragrances so What's one could fragrance? be well, one could be called Suplesse and one could be called Celeste. At first, I thought like it could be like his and hers. Yeah, right. You could buy a gift pack, but then I thought, well, we we don't want to get too sort of gender specific um, with that. Yeah, and I remember, do you remember back in like the mid nineties when like you had CK one and CKB? Yeah, and big and fan were, of CK one. They were both meant to be like. Uh, gender neutral, weren't they? Do you remember? Yeah, I do remember. But I still I, like a CK one, you know. Do you? Can you yeah. still get it? Yeah, of course you can. Do you like it as in do you like to smell it on 
other people or do you like to um, smell it on yourself? I don't wear any any kind of Neither. other than my natural musk. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, my, my memory of it is that I think girls tended to wear CK1 and CKB was more was more boys, I think. So while I think Celeste and Suplesse should be for anyone, we might find that perhaps one might go for the other. And I had, I had this idea for an advert for Christmas. And go on. Adver- adverts can be quite expensive, can't they? But like, so I thought rather than shooting a whole, a whole advert, we just repurpose the old uh, Renault Clio advert from the 1990s. <laughs> right. Okay. And do you remember with like the dad and the young girl? And um, so I'm imagining that, that the dad smells of Suplesse and Nicole s- smells of Celeste. So all, all we need to do is we need to just get rid of the bit at the end that says Renault Clio. And um, we just have pictures of both bottles at the end. It's crazy. She, she's been like driving around with this handsome young man and he's been off kind of like drinking coffee with sort of a beautiful 50-year-old widow or something like that. And they kind of come back together at the end. And it's like, Nicole, Papa. And then shot of two bottles. And it just says, two fragrances. By Taylor Swift, Suplesse, Celeste, Nicole, Papa, and then that's the end. I've just thought you could overdub it, and instead of it being Papa and Nicole, you could have it as Suplesse, Celeste. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it could be really awkwardly edited. And yes, yeah, you could say one of them, and I could say the other. And it's, but it's still got to have. Um, I can play that. Yeah, okay. You could, and <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Um, Let's do that. I, I think it's a great idea. Okay. So that's the advert done. Do we need to concentrate on making anything? Or, or Because I had a go at it. Um, I, I think I sent you a photo. I had a go at it and it wasn't that successful. Making the perfume? Yeah. Okay, what did you put in? Uh, I put in uh, orange zest. Okay. Uh, I put in chocolate. Sounds Christmassy already. Yeah. I put in some coffee beans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I put in... Sounds quite some, nice. Yeah. So I put for some floralness, I put in some gin. Okay. Because you've got to have an alcohol-based perfume, don't you? You do, yeah. Uh, that that was it. It's, it smelled nice sort of on first wearing. It smelled quite nice. Okay. And then it sort of went off. <laughs> so Which one is this? Is this souplesse or soap? It's definitely souplesse. Okay. Oh, leather. I put I put some. Um, so you filter put, it through some leather. Yeah, I filter it through some leather. Okay. Um, which gave it a sort of which was disappointing. It made it smell slightly tobaccoy. Okay. Well, I think we're feeling nicely warmed up and yeah. um, rolling around the. The streets of London um, a little bit. It's time for our special guest. And the um, the lovely news today is that we've got a special guest from Cycling UK. Uh, let's get into it. So joining us uh, today in the Taylor Swift Fan Club uh, is Stephen Dominey of UK Cycling. Stephen, welcome. 
Hello, it's sorry, it's Cycling UK. Do you get that from the right? Cycling UK. I, I, I do beg your pardon. <laughs> and I was going to um, I was going to ask you to tell us all about Cycling UK. However, uh, we've got an assistant on the Taylor Swift fan club, um, which is Michael's artificial intelligence. It's known as Michaelbot, right. and uh, we've just asked Michaelbot to tell us what is Cycling UK. And I think we did ask the right way around. So uh, I haven't heard the answer yet, but Michael, can you tell us what Michael Bott has come up with? Yes, I read it out word for word for word and I asked him, what is Cycling UK? And he said, Cycling UK is a national cycling charity in the United Kingdom, which promotes and encourages cycling and provides support to cyclists of all levels and abilities. That's what Michael Bott thinks. That Michael bot is surprisingly, well, no, maybe not surprisingly, uh, is very, uh, yeah, on point. Good. Is there anything you'd like to add to his uh, description in terms of what uh, what Cycling UK does? Well, we support cycling, uh, all, all sorts of cycling. So we're really interested in getting more people on bikes, cycling to the shops, cycling to work, cycling for leisure and pleasure. Um, yeah, cycling on holidays. So really, uh, across the board, British cycling does the sporty side of things. Cycling UK picks up the rest. Brilliant. And what's your particular role in the charity? Because it's charity, isn't it? Would we? Would it is you, a charity. Yeah? Yes, it, it, it is a charity. We set up a, which you know, or the oldest transport organisation in the world. Wow. Um, wow. We were launched in the late 19th century. I'm going to struggle to give you a precise year, um, but actually to, um, as a sort of a union for, 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 well, for touring cyclists. And for a long time, we were called the Cyclist Touring Club. And actually, we were renamed, oh, I don't know, about 10 years ago, we became Cycling UK, and we became a charity. Um, but historically, we've supported people to be cycling uh, long distances around the country for leisure and pleasure, uh, as well as as more locally. But as a charity, we're particularly interested in engaging new people into cycling, reaching it out to people that perhaps haven't thought about getting on a bicycle before for whatever reason. So we're really about supporting and encouraging new cyclists. Brilliant. And so your role in Cycling UK? I am in the campaigns team. I am a campaigns officer. I oversee uh, a brilliant thing called the Cycle Advocacy. I can't speak. The <laughs> Cycle Advocacy Network. I call it CAN for short because I can't say it. The Cycle Advocacy Network. We support local people, well, anyone, to speak up for cycling in their community. So, as an organisation, Cycling UK has an aim of getting uh, a million more people or millions more people on bikes. So in order to get the, the next million people to swing their legs over a saddle, uh, we need to understand what the barriers there are that are stopping them from doing that right now. What do you so think those barriers are? Well, there's, you won't be surprised to hear, you know, often surveys are done and, and the, the main reasons that come across that people don't feel safe to ride their bike on the road. Uh, they're intimidated about mingling in traffic. That's the, sort of the, the number one off-putting uh, factor. But also maybe people do feel that they are happy to uh, cycle along a road 
or maybe there's a decent cycle path near them. But if they were to cycle to the shops, maybe there isn't actually anywhere secure for them to tie up their bike to if they're doing the weekly shop. Or if they were going to cycle to work, maybe there isn't a shower or a locker room or something. So, you know, it's all these little things that actually are blockages to prevent people from actually just jumping on their bike and, 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 and doing a journey, doing a short journey. This might sound like a really stupid question because I know that um, all of us on having this conversation know why, instinctively know why that would be a good thing to have millions more people on their bikes. But why does it matter? Why bother? Why put all this energy into getting more people on their bikes? Um, well, it depends on your perspective. I, I think from a, a societal perspective, it really matters for, well, for all kinds of reasons, but health in particular, um, climate change being another one. Um, but we are, you know, the, the costs to our society of people um, living quite sedentary lifestyles is huge. Uh, the impact on our health, uh, on our hearts, um, is, is really significant. And actually, it's been shown time and time again that even a small amount of exercise can really uh, improve our overall health, mean that we live longer, healthier lives. And in doing so, well, we cause uh, uh, a lot, we're a lot less of a burden mm. on the system. So many of the and the costs in society at the moment are to do with the health system and um, the care system. And getting people active um, really <laughs> reduces the impact on our health and care services. So at a really kind of fundamental economic level for the country, we really need a lot more people to take journeys on bikes. And, and the reason that, that, that cycling is a particularly good way for, to, for people to take that exercise is because you can build into the journeys that you're doing anyway people are going to work people are going to the shops and actually if you can do this in a slightly more active way um, then that's a really good way of, of getting your exercise and, and increasing your overall health and there's something about cycling which means that when you do it it's there's, there's something about it which means you're once you start there's a little bit of drive within you to go a little bit harder, a little bit faster in the way that you can't quite when you're walking. So cycling, I think partly because it sticks a blooming great smile on your face when you're doing it, um, you know, it just kind of instinctively encourages you to do more and go a little bit further, go a little bit faster. Um, so cycling is is an absolutely superb way. And it builds that. If, you, if you've got to take that journey anyway, um, then why not do it on a bike? Because then it saves you having to do extra different exercise that you would have had, you know, make further time before in your day because you were driving. So, you know, it, it, it's at, at a sort of a, at a health level, it's really crucial uh, for our society that more of us get on our bikes. Uh, Tim, Tim and I have done, um, I, I'm a committed cycle commuter. I, I just, it's the thing that I love most. And I love a bit of multi, multimodal transport, bike, bus, train, whatever. Yeah. Um, I've just wondered what your thoughts are, were on something which seems obvious when you do it, but bikes take up so much less space. And especially in our cities, there's like this war on space. Mm -hmm uh the the traffic's really busy there's nowhere to park um just just wondered on your thoughts about 
about cycles play cycles role in freeing up like space for people absolutely i mean yes i think i see a statistic that a, a bike takes up one seventh of the road space of a car and cars are getting bigger all the time so yes if you can move people you know what's the percentage a lot of our car journeys are in distances for less than five yeah. miles so distances that would be deemed um cyclable for those of us that were you know a reasonable fitness so yeah if, if we can move car journeys to bike journeys we do free up so much road space and we make it easy for the people that need to use their cars to do so it's a win-win situation mm. And I think what you've just said makes me really think, because people forget most cyclists are also drivers. It seems yeah. to be like there's this conflict between drivers and cyclists, but it's like a mythical concept because most cyclists are drivers. They're just taking a different mode on that day. We are all people, aren't we? You, know, yeah. you, you get phony culture wars, pitting the, yeah, the motorists against the cyclists. But as you say, vast majority of regular cyclists are also motorists. But actually, we're all people. We all walk we all we well we can all cycle a lot of us also drive i mean i mean i mean the great thing about cycling at the moment is it's a lot cheaper than driving um and, and we've got this cost of living crisis the price of fuel going through the roof people you know if we could get on our bikes and cycle um then that's going to save us a lot of money but actually you know but we can't just say to people hey get on a bike and cycle because people are worried about getting, putting their bike on the road and cycling and mixing for traffic. So we're in this situation where, yeah, it would be great if um, people felt that they could ride on the roads and it would be great for their health, great for their bank balance, great for the space on the roads, which means other you know, car users can do that. But people just feel they can't at the moment. They, they don't feel safe on the roads. And we really need to address it. It's something which has accrued from years and years and years of uh, planning, town planning, road planning. Um, and, you know, people have just defaulted to using the car. We default to using the car as humans. Um, it's sort of within our nature to take a, a, an easy route. But cars are expensive. Um, not everyone can afford a car. We need to be we need to be encouraging our politicians nationally and locally to take decisions about how they design our towns, how they redesign our roads and cycle paths so that people can actually feel safe to do that. And, it, it, you know, you know, we just need we need to encourage people to speak up for cycling. We need to encourage those politicians to listen to the perhaps quieter voices and take decisions that will benefit all of us. One thing that has um, given me a bit of hope and encouragement this week is um, a term has started again. I, I work part-time in a, a secondary school and um, and this week I've started my, my new terms resolution has been to cycle to the station, get the train and then uh, cycle the rest of the journey to uh, to school on the days when I don't actually cycle the full distance. And uh, we've got a I've got a staff bike shed and I've been really encouraged this week 
to find that there's been hardly any space for me to put my bike in because it's been absolutely full of other colleagues cycling to school. Um, way more than I've seen before. I, and I've wondered whether this is partly uh, to do with cost of fuel and that kind of thing. I don't know if it's still going to be the same in like darkest January, but uh, but it's you know it's really good that the year has started like that. And and is, that to, is that just staff and the pupils or...? That's just the staff bike shed. However, uh, there are a lot of young people who come on their bikes to school as well. It is quite a popular way for them to come to school. I was I got very excited um, uh, a couple of days ago when a colleague arrived at the same time as me on her uh, her e-bike. And it was this fantastic looking machine. And she said to me, oh, yeah, I come from from quite a distance. She probably comes from it's probably a good 10 miles away where um, where she lives. And um, she said, I don't drive. So she comes on on her e-bike and she had um, she had this little seat for her four year old uh, on, on the top tube, basically with like little um, uh, sort of pedal bits for her four-year-old to put um, his feet in. And I just felt so excited and encouraged by the fact that uh, that this was how she was going to get to school. Um, that was my, a little bit of joy for me this uh, this week anyway. That, that's fantastic. Uh, can I share a story from a Cycle Advocacy Network? Um, yeah, please. One of the uh, examples of what a, a team are up to. Um, we have uh, a group of campaigners down in Stevenage, uh, one of them is a teacher. Her name's Jill, um, and she's part of a national education union. And one of their sort of union sort of gatherings, meetings uh, last year, um, they were sort of did this exercise about um, framing a what do you call it a motion uh, or a proposal to their national union conference. And so they sort of drafted a proposal that. The, the union should actively support walking and cycling to school, so active travel, walking and cycling to school. And, um, and so they did this, they started as a, you know, just a, a worked example, and they quickly fleshed it out into a proposal, which then went to the national conference and was adopted. And so now the National Education Union across the UK, which I think is the biggest teaching union, has basically, well, they've got a, a statement that all union members, or, or, or rather sort of, uh, the union meetings, will campaign for secure and convenient cycle and scooter parking in all educational settings for all students and staff. So this is something that is going beyond cycle campaign is this is teachers recognizing the real benefits of cycling to health to physical health to mental health um to air quality around schools all these things and actually the union themselves saying right this is what we are going to campaign for uh for all schools across the country but that's the power of your local advocacy networks isn't it that that it's through cycling uk existing and empowering those people to then use their voice in their union and in their networks. And I guess that yeah. that's probably what fires you up and gets you excited about the work that you're doing, seeing that kind of thing happening. It really does because, yeah, because cycle people have been campaigning for, for safe cycle routes uh, for years and years. What's exciting about this is that the, 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 the cycle advocacy network really encourages us to reach out to the broader community, people who care about health, people who care about education, people who care about the quality of the place in which they live, 
all of us can speak up and say, actually, cycling was really going to help our lives improve. It, it's so good to hear your passion, your enthusiasm for it. Stephen, what is it uh, for you personally that that means this is this is more than just a job? What's the what's the driver here? It, it's, it, Tim, you, you and I have both worked in the world of international development, and there is a, a somewhat hackneyed phrase saying uh, that, uh, that, that that gets used. It's give someone a fish, and you feed them for a day. Teach them to fish, and you feed them for a lifetime. Now. One of my heroes is uh, the late Archbishop Desmond Tutu, a supreme campaigner, particularly against apartheid. Um, But in his wisdom, he extended this to teach someone to ride a bike and they'll soon realise that fishing is boring and stupid. So, you know, it's really wise words, and I think we could do well to, to, to dwell on them and reflect on them. We've just lost a whole angling audience who tune into the Taylor Swift fan club. But, uh... Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah. <laughs> that was a big crossover, yeah. I, I, I don't doubt. Huge, um, massive. Said that. I obviously don't endorse those words. But there's something about cycling which means that uh, it's a grassroots change. It's cheap and it's easy to access and it can bring real change and joy as well. So it is about development and it is about making communities better. Mm. It's making the world Mm. better. It's about making us healthier. But frankly, it's just about joy. You know, what what drives me is I, you know, and I'm sure it is all of us, the blooming joy of getting to the top of that hill and seeing the view extend in front of you um, metaphorically and uh, and physically yeah. but yeah michael and i both um are part of the online cycling club club 3r which is uh, uh, exists within the world of zwift and 3r stands for ride race and raise raise being raise money particularly for world bicycle relief is our kind of uh, charity partner right right and, and and so it's a big part of our club's identity the world bicycle relief have that their kind of catchphrase is the power of bicycles and Again, it's something which which I saw when I was overseas um, in uh, Burundi a few years ago. The the way that a bicycle is, I don't know, it, it's such an extraordinary thing for someone yeah. um, living in a community in poverty because it's so transformative and yeah. it means um, it means transport, but it also means being able to carry your stuff. It also means safety and security. It means girls being able to go to school it means um healthcare workers being able to get about the place yeah i think we're probably all in agreement that it's 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 really fundamental and what's what's exciting is that it works in really very different communities and countries around the world and can have that fundamental impact and it can have that impact in the uk too there are charities that provide bicycles to refugees people are freshly arrived in the uk but have no means of their own transport and 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 no cash to you know to to buy a bus ticket or a train ticket to get around uh there's people who's perhaps part of the cultures that 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 mean they don't really get to move around much at their house get them on a bike and it means that they can travel around unhindered and see more of their community so yeah it works in burundi it works in birmingham as well it's fantastic. And if I can just be indulgent to tell a bit of a story and then ask you a question, um, because I was 
I was listening to what you're saying about cycling to school, and I've got a six-year-old and a 16-year-old, but with the six-year-old, he cycles to school every single day. But the first time, first day he got there, there was nowhere to put his bike. So the second day, I dug a bike rack out of the shed and took it took it to the took it to the school and it sits there behind a locked gate um but the thing that struck me was day one william cycled to school day one somebody else cycled in day three he was joined by somebody else and just this really small act of seeing somebody doing it and having somewhere to put your bike was just enough of a nudge to make people do it so my question is if you had a magic wand and you could do one thing what one thing would you would, would you do and what would you like to see happen? That's a really good question. Um, so from the top of my head, what I would what, what so what you've done is speaking up for cycling, but in a yeah. quite a practical way. You've, you've really practically advocated for that by providing, you know, a simple way for people to lock the bikes. What I, for, for change that I'd really like to see it's people speaking up, advocating for cycling. It gets panned in the media. There are some loud voices that will speak up against simple changes going in that make life easier for people to cycle around. Low traffic neighbourhoods being one that, that often features perhaps in the, in the London press, uh, but around the UK uh, press as well. Surveys show that there is the majority of the people in the UK actually favour measures that make it easy for people to walk and cycle. The one thing I would like is for people to be able to express that, to say, actually, no, I do agree with that. Because if we make a change, you make it, if we speak up and make a small change, we can gather people and say, yes, actually, I do agree with that. The people that disagree with it make disproportionate amount of noise in the media. Head teachers, counsellors will kind of hear that noise and think these are not popular. I do not want to see these changes. But if you as a school parent can talk to another school parent, can talk to another school parent, school parents together can say, we need better parking. And everyone go, yeah, we do actually. And the school will then make sure that there's some decent stuff put in it's secure and safe. And then more people will see that and say, oh, we need we need that put in our school as well. We need to put that in the shops. It's the getting people to feel that they want, they can speak up and and be heard to be in favour of these things. I love that. And actually, that's 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 kind of a message for life, isn't it? You know, if, if everybody felt that they had a, a voice to express themselves in a way that was like true to themselves and they felt listened to, we'd have a much better world, I think. And um, how can people get involved? If you go to the Cycling UK website, which is cyclinguk.org, um, you can see uh, all about the fantastic stuff the charity gets up to. I, I would be remiss without going a quick plug for some of our uh, long distance cycle routes that we're, we're launching. So for a lot of your listeners, if you're already into your cycling, you like cycling for leisure, then do look up the things uh, for the routes on our website, things like King Alfred's Way, um, the Canty Way in Kent. We're just about to launch. We're just launching the Rebellion Way in Norfolk. These are long distance leisure routes that people can get involved in. The Cycle Advocacy Network, if you go to cyclinguk.org slash can, um, then that is uh, the landing page for the Cycle Advocacy Network. I am Stephen Dominey, and if people uh, email stephen.dominey uh, at cyclinguk.org, then they can you can 
find out directly from me more about CAN and how you the ways you can get involved. Stephen, on the podcast, we frequently have people getting in touch to tell us their desert island disc wheels, the track that lifts their spirits, gives them a few extra watts as they're cycling along. Have you got a desert island disc wheel, a song that you would associate with riding your bike? Yeah, um, Duke Special. It's a song called Free Wheel. Absolutely wonderful song. Not really about cycling other than freewheeling and just the joy of not having to pedal anymore. <laughs> um, so, yeah, a really uplifting track by Duke Special. He's, he's from Northern Ireland. I know, I know him well. Fantastic artist. Oh, good. Yeah, good really, good really uh, well worth a listen. We got this morning to love. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a joy. It's been really good to talk to you. It's been brilliant to hear about Cycle in the UK. Thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you so much, Stephen. It's been fantastic to talk to you. So that was Stephen. It was good to chat to him, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really nice. It was really nice. And like last week, isn't it nice to talk to somebody who's basically very enthusiastic about life? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and bikes. Yeah. Any thoughts since we've chatted to him? Um, the 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 bit that really struck in my stuck in my mind was advocating. He kept saying advocating. Mm. What well, you know that's and it made me think of what what does it mean to advocate? Mm. How would you advocate? What does it what does it mean? So I wondered if you had any thoughts on on what it means to be an advocate. There's a sense in which. It's about speaking on behalf of mm. someone, isn't it? Or on behalf of something. Yeah. I remember my dad tried to learn Spanish once and he got to the point where you have to sort of say what your job is. And the Spanish course that he was following, um, I don't think it had vicar. So he looked up lawyer because he he was briefly a lawyer before he was a vicar. And he came in and said something like, I am an abocado which we thought was hilarious because it was like he was saying, I'm an avocado. Um, but um, but yeah, to, to be a lawyer is to be an, an advocate, yeah, um, uh, to speak on behalf of someone, isn't it? And so it's got that sense. It's got that sense of using your voice. Your speech isn't just neutral. It's um, making a case. That yeah. It is uh, persuasive and powerful, that our voice is powerful. I think that's really important. Um if we're advocating on behalf of someone else, often that might be someone who is unable to speak for themselves. And that's really um, helpful and important as well, I think. When we spoke a few months ago to Helen Wyman, she was talking about um, advocating for for women cycling, for girls cycling, for cyclocross. And um, and that was so powerful to hear how uh, how she used her position of of having a louder voice because of, you know, by virtue of the position that she was in yeah. to be able to have her voice heard. Because often it's, it's not that someone else's voice might've been actively silenced. It's just that they're not in the same position as someone who like Helen, who yeah. um, by virtue of her position is listened to. Yeah. And, and 
what you say about position is that, is that his answer to the what would you do if you had a magic wand, which was for everybody to feel safe and have a voice. And linking back to the fact that the main reason that people don't cycle is they don't feel safe, mm. is that position when you're a cyclist out on a road is quite literal, isn't it? Yeah. Because you you are uh, vulnerable. Um, cars are boxes that people can't hear you in. Yeah. So so it got me really thinking about about how how do we how do we help everybody to have a voice, but also how do, how what role do we have in making sure that everybody's listened to? Mm. Mm. Um, and I guess it made me think about our, what we've been talking about in in recent episodes and also our journeying, which is first part of going on any journey, isn't it? Is packing. Yeah. So you need to decide what to pack. Yeah. Um, and back to what the bishop was saying about packing. You, when you're on a bicycle journey, you can't pa- pa- mm. pack very much. I was thinking about what if what if we all didn't pack our opinions. Okay. So so what what if instead of like um, when I'm out on my road, that's an idiot motorist who hasn't given me enough room. Mm. What what if we what what if I parked that opinion and the other the person in the car also parked that they didn't pack that opinion? Mm. Um, I, I wonder what I, I wonder what everything what travel and transport would look like and and whether people would feel more safe. What sort of opinions are you talking about? Well, like ownership. If I, if I can give you a bit of an example, which yeah. is, um, I I was on the uh, river boat today. Mm-hmm. Uh, with William and Vicky, and we were sat at the front getting a good view of things. Yeah, and William wanted to go and look at the back, so um, he it, we had a wander off to the back, and I came back, and somebody else was sitting in my seat. Your seat, my seat, but but like it's not my seat, is it? <laughs> no. Um, I bought a ticket and I sat in it. Mm-hmm. So in other words, in my head, I have paid for it, mm-hmm. and I am literally linked to it. Mm-hmm. So that's my seat. Yeah. So. I could have gone, and my initial, initial, my first reaction was that person's in my seat. But then I che- sort of checked myself and thought, well, that's just an opinion about ownership. Sure. And if I have a different opinion about ownership, which is nobody really owns anything, we just borrow it from time to time, mm. and we need to be nice and like nice to each other. Mm. And maybe the person who sat in the seat should have had a thought about it. But like, what does it matter? I was thinking mm. that's very similar to when you're riding your bike along the road, which is mm. I sort of think that I own that bit of road that I'm riding on. Sure. And I have a right to riding it on. And, yeah. and I was thinking, well, actually, that's the same sort of narrative you sometimes hear from motorists. Mm-hmm. You know, bloody cyclists think they own the road. Mm. Well, well, I think, like, I think we do think we own the road in the same way that you think we own the road. But, it, but the point is that, like, ownership doesn't really exist. Well, this is what we've been finding out with the eBay cupboard, isn't it? Yeah. We've been reflecting on the idea that actually we um, we can take a different attitude to the things that there are in our lives, that we can yeah. think about them as things that are useful for us for a little while, that we can then share them with other people. I remember, I might have told you this before, but I remember when I was a student, there was a guy who I used to hang around with a little bit and I think that his, maybe his mum was like some revolutionary from South America or something like that. And so he'd been brought up with this mindset of, um, 
well, I suppose to put it in very sort of political economic terms of of wealth redistribution and the idea that actually yeah. uh, own private ownership is uh, a very problematic concept. And I remember we went to a gig once and um, he went to the bar and he bought a pint and he brought it back and he just kept passing it round. And that sounds a little bit gross, everyone drinking out the same pint glass. But he just kept passing it around because it wasn't his. He bought a drink. But like the idea that it would be his drink was a bit sort of weird to him. And do, do you know something that that's just made me think of is the um, hoarding is in in terms of human terms mm. is relatively new. Okay. So the reason why um, we've basically evolved to the point at which that we can have microphones and podcasts is that we shared everything basically, mm. and I'm, 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 ignore economic models of capitalism and and sure. um, just pop that to one side for a moment, but. The, the concept of owning and hoarding is relatively new. Mm. Uh, and it made me think also about our relative cycling journeys, which we'll talk to, which I've just mentioned now, which yeah. is like um, when you're training for something and when you're trying to go get faster, um, it's similar to the hedonic treadmill of like more, 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 more. Uh-huh. I want more, so therefore... I want to have more. I want to have more power. I want mm. to have more bikes. Yeah, but like, when is enough enough? Sure. Yeah. At what point? What point do you stop? At what point? At what point is enough enough? Very hard, isn't it? And I, I'm sure that an awful lot of top athletes find that a very difficult time in life when, when they probably know that they've passed their peak. Yeah. They won't have known when that peak came. But they probably know that they have, and trying to then readjust their priorities and their values must be very difficult. I mean, I find that difficult just as a amateur. Um, yeah. But for someone for whom that's their their whole career is built on that, that must be tough. I think it is, but I, it gives me a bit of an insight. So we've talked before about how Zwift is is amazing, mm. but the fact that it it makes you really clear about what your numbers are and if mm. you're better or worse than you were last week or yeah, um, in a way that you just don't get through normal cycling. So as I'm riding along here on my Santander bike, I don't know if I'm better than I was last week sure. or worse, but on, on Swift you do. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a tendency to replace for that to become the measure that replaces yeah. everything. Yeah. I went out today on my bike. I had to really make myself go out on my bike today. I've been struggling with motivation at the moment. Um, but I went out today and I uh, I went out on my single speed bike, right? Um, and I just went out on very sort of easy little roads around about. And I've got an unnecessarily large gear on the single speed bike, which means that I'm going really quite slowly on it. But I didn't put my heart rate monitor on, which I almost always do. I didn't do that today. Didn't have power meter on either. And actually it was quite, uh, it was a little bit liberating just going out and having a nice time. And, yeah. uh, and I feel like I need, because actually what was it going to tell me? It was going to tell me that I'm not very fit at the moment. I know that. And actually, I know that what I need to do is just to enjoy going for a bike ride because that'll make me want to do it again. Whereas if I go out and I then feel bad about 
my fitness and all of that kind of thing, I might be less likely to do it again. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I tell you what's made me think we've, what, what, I can't remember what episode we, we talked about suffering, suffering being essential mm. to um, basically enjoying anything. And I should explain as a bit of context is I uh, had COVID in February for listeners, had COVID in January, February, um, and then had long COVID and sort of all my fitness. That was enough for all my fitness to disappear completely. Mm. But I've been reasonably successful in that not being the most depressing thing that's happened and give up cycling and everyone to doing it again. Because sure. what I re- what I realized is that same growth that you get from physical suffering, suffering is also available from emotional suffering. Mm. Does that make sense? It, it does. I think we need to kind of qualify a little bit in that. I wonder whether discomfort is a better way word than suffering, just because no, you're right. I'm, I'm very conscious that when we talk about suffering, um, there are an awful lot of people for whom there's been significant suffering. Do you know what I mean? And that's reality. I don't yeah. mean, you're right. Yeah. I and mean, I think, discomfort. Yeah. And I think that what I don't want us to sound like is we're saying like the kind of trauma that people might have experienced is a good and necessary thing because I don't think it yeah. is. But, um, but yeah, discomfort. Absolutely. Yeah. One of my heroes is a guy called uh, Pip Wilson, who does a, an awful lot of emotional intelligence work and he he has this expression that he comes to an awful lot where he says um growth does not reside in a place called comfortable <laughs> and um and i i come back to that I love an awful that. lot i do it's i remember about um about uh, six or seven years ago i started a new job and it was the hardest thing i'd ever done professionally and I just kind of kept bank, kept coming back to this idea. Growth does not reside in a place called comfortable. And um, despite the fact it was more difficult than anything I'd ever done, I grew enormously in a professional sense. And and so there was a, a great truth to it. I love that. Um, and just to, back to what we're talking about. Well, this is exactly what we're talking about. But um, that essence of not packing that in my in my bag on our journey which is i've got to be fast yeah i've got to be fit and instead mm. packing we're gonna have a nice time here yeah and we're gonna go where the road takes us mm. and i might not take the fastest bike and i'm kind of expecting and hoping that all the car drivers will be nicer to us and all of that stuff mm. i just i just think that would be that would be kind of kind of a nice thing to do Just to go back to what you were saying before about that point at which you start to go backwards or point which you pass the tides turn. Yeah. We're at a funny age, aren't we? Mm. In that we're sort of early to mid forties and in athletic terms, um, well, we're certainly past the peak of what we could have been, um, I guess, if we were professional athletes, but there comes a point probably in around about this time in life when you're not going to be physically able to keep improving your power and so on. Your power is actually going to start to decline. So that's the thing, I guess, that you and I, and maybe if there are other people similar age to us listening, are going to have to are going to have to deal to with pivot, yeah, um, and to to say actually no, I'm not going to be able to put out X amount of watts. This is why, um, to bring it back to Zwift for a minute. 
this is why the category system on Zwift really irritates me. And I know this will have this people have talked about this loads and ranted about the categories on Zwift loads. Um because I think they're stupid. I think that having categories based on the, your power range, um, or yeah. like what's per kilo, it, it just feels arbitrary. And you don't do that in real life. In real life, you are in categories based on your age group. Or, well, yeah, so I, I completely agree with you. There is a model which is accepted around the world, and there are two, there's age group and there's, um, how many points have you got mm. from winning stuff? Mm. Um, and I just don't know why they don't do that. Yeah. But why don't you get, go up, get like a, a category four license or a, a three or a two or a one, depending on how many races you've won? It doesn't make sense at all. Yeah. So like in real life, if I'm racing a time trial, I remember one I did recently and I remember the, the bloke that started ahead of me was probably 20 years younger than me. Mm-hmm. The bloke who started behind me was probably 20 years older than me. There's just no comparison. No. There's no point me trying to compare myself. I needn't feel bad about the fact that a bloke in his early 20s has gone faster than me in a time trial. And I shouldn't, likewise, I shouldn't feel particularly proud of myself for going faster than the bloke in his 60s. Um, although I probably will. Uh, <laughs> actually, I'll tell you what I feel bad about is the blokes in their 60s who go faster than me. But, <laughs> but, but my point is, there's no point comparing myself um, to people who are in radically different age categories. So why do we do it in Swift? Why? Um, I don't know. Because I don't know. I'll do a race and I'll be in my power-based category. I don't know what ages those people are. It would make so much more sense to to be automatically dropped into a category of people of your age group, I think, anyway. Completely. And just to say one thing, the, the, the FTP is very clearly the wrong measure mm-hmm. because it's not the person with the highest FTP that wins real stuff. Like it never has been. Sure. It's an element of it, but it never has been. Yeah. Do you know what? I went cycling. So, you know, we, we used the word liminal. We did. In last week's. This is like... This is a liminal bit, isn't it? Sure. So we are in this lim- liminal thing. But I, I was cycling last week with, um, I assume he was older than me um, because he was riding a fixed gear Mercian. Okay. Which he'd used, he did many Audaxes on. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, the best quote I've heard for a long time about cycling, which was, um, the older I get, the faster I was. That's brilliant, isn't it? You just love. That's so good. And what That's I loved so about good. it is it recognises two things. Like, um, there's a tendency to reminisce, isn't there? There is. But there's also accepting that you, you're getting slower, but you're still doing it. Yeah. I yeah. just love it. Yeah. That, that's what I want to be. Yeah. Love it. Fixed gear, though. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine doing London, Edinburgh, London on fixed gear? Do you know what? I had a vague notion that I was going to do that. Not fixed, wow. but single speed. Single speed. Um, yeah, I had this idea. I'd, e- I'd even sort of planned it out how I was going to do it because I thought I would ride on a relatively normal gear as far as uh, Barnard Castle, um, which is one of the control points. 
and that I would then flip my wheel over to a more climby gear to go up Teesdale, which yeah. is, um, I believe is the most, um, the most hilly bit of, of the route and then, uh, switch it around again at the bottom. Um, but then I decided not to do London, Edinburgh, London. And I think probably even by that point, uh, I'd probably realized that would have been a stupid idea. <laughs> I, because why why make life more difficult for yourself when you when you're cycling 1500 kilometers um why not just ride the have the have all the gears available to you so i did ask him about this and he said that's the reason why because it's hard because no sort of but no the reason being is that when you want to have a choice you don't have a choice yeah, there's some. Uh, we've both ride single speed bikes, and there's something like great, more connecting about. Yeah, there's something there more connecting. About, I don't know what it is. Everybody who rides a single yeah. speed says there's something more connecting, and especially so when you're riding it fixed. Yeah, and I didn't believe this until I did it. Um, but before I bought my uh, my single speed bike, I remember reading about them, and I remember reading people saying putting it almost in spiritual terms mm. saying that, that that there's this connection between you and the bike and the road and so on and I thought this is just a load of rubbish what they're talking about um but then I had a go I bought my single speed bike and at first I thought well, I'm going to try and just ride it fixed and actually they're sort of right yeah it's really interesting isn't it and I think that the reason is that when you're riding a fixed gear bike you have got to be concentrating all the time. Okay. At no point can you stop concentrating on your pedaling because if you do that and say you go over a little rise and you allow yourself to just coast a little bit, then you fall off or you kind of very nearly fall off, yeah? So riding a fixed gear bike is a wonderful, mindful thing. It's about it's an incredible way of being in the present moment because you've got no option you've got no option you have to be concentrating the whole time on what you're doing and i think that after a little while you go from what i might call sort of active concentrating to the concentrating on the present moment concentrating on what you're doing happening kind of automatically and so it becomes a little bit meditative does that make sense that makes perfect sense yeah it makes perfect sense so just just uh, uh, I have a, I have a confession. Can, can I tell you my confession? Yeah, I do. Uh, somebody gave me a fixed gear bike this week. Oh wow! And it was a problem for me because he said he was going to give it to me like months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if I was in my current, I don't need more stuff. I would have said no. Sure. But I said yes, and mm-hmm. it arrived. But I wonder if if I should just if that's what I should do if I should ride it around a bit a lot more fixed. And try and try and like expand this liminality. Try and come out of the other end of it with with a new approach to mm. enjoying yeah. cycling. I think I mentioned before that I've started this term. I've started cycling to the station and getting yes. the train and. Um, this has been one of the best things that I've done in a long time. It's hard to explain really how 
uh, how much I'm enjoying doing that. Mm. Uh, so I live about two miles from the station. So, um, uh, so it's not a long way. I, I don't have to kind of go fast or in fact, I deliberately don't go fast because I like to not get sweaty on the way. Um, so I cycle slowly to the station, but it's just enough to wake me up at sort of seven o'clock in the morning. So it's some fresh air and heart rate up a little bit. Mm. And then I get to sit on the train for half an hour, which is really nice. And I can listen to a podcast or some music or whatever I want to do. And, um, and it's been a real joy, but I've noticed something, which is that when I ride my bike to the station, I don't wear my Lycra and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wear normal clothes, I wear my hoodie and like some comfy trousers and normal trainers. And I don't know whether people actually regard me differently on my bike compared to when I wear all my cycling kit, but it feels different. I feel like I'm a bloke on a bike rather than a cyclist. And more importantly, a bloke in the w- on a bike going to work. Yes. Yeah. Rather than. Yeah. 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 And I don't know if I'd say, I should say this, but uh, I've not been wearing a helmet either because I ride a very short distance and on a safe little road i love not wearing a helmet i shouldn't say this should i but there's then there's a thing about this right is that in a strange sort of way i think i feel a little bit safer because i think car drivers when they see people without helmets on they maybe take a little bit more care that there is some data around this you know it that backs up exactly what you said they experimented with uh civvies no helmet full full gear helmet and mm. passes are are significantly closer to the person in full gear that's interesting isn't it it's really interesting yeah. but just to unpick the helmet thing for a minute because i think this is important is cycling should be there for everybody mm. that's my belief yeah um and you should be able to ride to work on your bike mm. fundamentally you should be able to ride to work on a bike now I had an unexpected insight into what it's like to be a long-haired person okay. riding to work. You can't wear a helmet because basically you arrive to work with helmet hair. Yeah. So given that, you know, given that most women have long hair or at least done hair, mm-hmm. you, that's a big significant factor of why, why I think why women don't yeah. cycle to work. Yeah. And back to the safety bit is there's not great data around whether it's safer or not but what there is really good data is that that wearing a helmet puts people off sure sure so i'm fine with it i remember um we went on holiday to the netherlands about five years ago and um cycling holiday um cycled all around friesland in uh, the north of the netherlands um had a lovely time wore our helmets on day one realized that we were the only people in the whole country wearing them <laughs> literally I think we saw maybe like one other couple and they were probably yeah. British. Um, but no no one wears them. And like 20 times the amount of people at least cycle. And I think that's really significant. I don't want to I don't want to be one of these people who's going to encourage people to take unnecessary risks. And I do still wear my helmet if I'm out on my road bike going fast and it's exactly what that. Think. Um but I think that we need to be sensible about it. I think just to just to recognise 
that 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 the second I say this because I say this quite a lot, somebody will say, "Yes, I fell off my bike and my helmet saved my sure. life." Yeah, and there will always be points to that. There will be always be points like that. Yeah, but what you're missing out in the fact is that our roads are full of people who drive cars, like our interviewer said, because they don't feel safe enough to cycle to work. Yeah, and and fundamentally the the way to feel safe is to feel protected and to maybe not be going so fast and you know i mean i'm on my santander bike and you're on the brompton mm. we're having a nice little ride around i i didn't put my helmet on did you put your helmet on no i didn't no so um i just just say again you know opinions back to i haven't packed my opinions i haven't packed my opinion about whether it's good or bad i've been i've been kind of curious and I've looked at some data and I've had some chats and I've decided that this is right for me. Do you know what? We could talk about this all day, but I think we're quickly running out of time. So yeah. we should probably start to wrap it up. Um, just to remind listeners that if you want to join us on Zwift, then Wednesday mornings, 6am UK time, is the Taylor Zwift fan club ride. You and I um, either join us on Zwift itself, or if you want to join the live stream, then that is at twitch.tv slash FC. One thing I've been meaning to say to you, um, did you know that before I got into cycling, I was a bit of a wrestler, did wrestling for a little while? I didn't know that, no. No, no. And one of the things that I always used to do was that during a wrestling match, I would get my opponent in a headlock, and when I knew I was going to win, I would take a pen out of my spandex shorts and I'd write my name over his forehead. Okay. It was my signature move. <laughs> Do you know what? I genuinely didn't see that coming. <laughs> it was a fairly dangerous um, sport, though. I, I, I had to give it up because... You know, I, I was a bit worried about getting injured. I, the thing which tipped me over, actually, was when a guy tried to sell me a coffin. And, okay. you know, that was a bit of a wake-up call. You know, I said to him, that's the last thing I'll need. <laughs> oh. Oh. Again, I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. Anyway, this has been lovely. It has been lovely. I'm off to listen to Duke's special, and I'll see you in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, see you in a couple of weeks. Bye.